welcome again to uh, another podcast. I, I'm not sure what week we are. I think we're week 11 in this epic series, and we're talking about uh, Daniel in the lion's den today. And so we've got Brian with us. Uh, Josh is out. I don't know something's going on with Chelsea. I don't know what it is, but uh, uh, she's sleepy. <laughs> sleepy, yeah. And uh, they'll be more sleepy here in a few weeks. Yeah. Because so. we had preface that there's not currently anything happening right. before right. the barrage right. of texts and calls happen. Right. Yeah. They're just preparing. Right. They're preparing for something to happen. Right. And uh, so texting, call him, asking, no, don't, right. don't do that, don't, so. do that. <laughs> don't do that. So we're welcoming Brian again, and, and so uh, Mara, why don't you just give us a rundown of the series, what we've been doing? All right, so yeah, we're in week 11. There's going to be, I think, 13 weeks overall. This has been our entire summer, which has been, the, the only word I can think of is epic, <laughs> as we have covered a lot of ground, a lot of history. Um, just had a chance to look at some of these stories, which um, from a children's ministry perspective, these are some of the first stories that I feel like our kids learn as they are starting to piece together the parts of the Bible. And it's been so um, great, I feel like, to get to experience those together as a family. We're all kind of talking about the same thing, but also realizing that we don't wanna just leave these as isolated events that happen to other people, but we really wanna weave them together as part of this epic story that is still continuing and we want to see how these these stories and these events encourage us and push us on to um, our personal actions and personal um, stories as our faith grows with God. So Brian today we are mostly focusing on Daniel and the lion's den but feel free to kind of include any any parts of the story that you think are um, important for us to talk about today. Sure so textually we're basically in the book of Daniel chapter 6 um, though to give a tiny bit of background if you backtrack a little bit to chapter 5 we have the uh, whole encounter with King Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian king um, the, the Jews have been taken over the Israelites have been taken over by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and so they're in captivity and so Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar um, the, the scene where they're writing on the wall what happens and I know I'm really summarizing but what happens is um, Daniel uh, reads the writing on the wall and basically the very night that he reads the writing on the wall King Darius the Medes and Persians come in and take over the Babylonians, and so the Israelites are now um, being ruled by yet another kingdom. Um, and that is what brings us to chapter 6 um, of Daniel. Uh, king Darius is the king that Daniel is serving, and um, what's happening is Darius appoints 120, now the biblical word is satraps, I'm not exactly sure, what you say? It's like a biblical sand trap. There you go, <laughs> sand trap, I like it. 120 sand traps, right, uh, to rule throughout the kingdom, and there are three administrators that Darius puts over them, of which Daniel is one of these administrators. And uh, the Bible tells us that he does such a good job that he distinguishes himself so much that it causes jealousy within the other 120 of these officials. And so these 122, because you've got satrap, sand traps and the two of the other administrators, come to Darius and say, look, um, we, need to, we want to create some legislation here that's going to, um, kind of catch Daniel. In fact, in verse 5, I'm going to jump back and forth. Verse 5, they talk amongst themselves and said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God, which really stuck, stuck out to me. And I'm sure we can talk about that later. So they go to Darius and they say, here's the deal. Let's create a decree that for the next 30 days, anybody who prays to any other God other than to you um, gets thrown into a den of lions. And Darius says, okay, let's put it in writing. When Daniel hears that this decree is published, the Bible tells us he goes upstairs to the room where he prays and opens the windows toward Jerusalem and continues his daily ritual of praying three times a day, giving thanks to God, just as he's always done. He doesn't change anything. 
Of course, these 122 guys find out about it, come to Darius and say, did you publish this decree? And Darius says, it stands. Um, I have to follow through with it. In verse 13, um, they tell him that Daniel has been praying to Jehovah, to Yahweh, prays three times a day. And verse 14 says the king is greatly distressed. He even tries until sundown that day to rescue or to save Daniel from this decree. But obviously, Daniel has not deviated from what he's meant and said he's going to do. And the decree says that there's consequences. So Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. We have a really interesting part where the king says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continue to rescue you. They roll a stone over the mouth of the lion's den, sealed with the king's signet ring and the wax with the other officials. I mean, this is as official as it can be. And the Bible tells us that King Darius goes back to his palace and can't sleep that night, can't rest because he's so worried about Daniel. Next morning, he rushes out and he looks to see what's going on with Daniel. And of course, as we know, because it's sort of very familiar, Daniel's fine. You know, nothing bad has happened. Uh, we even get the idea that you know, maybe Daniel's hanging out down there, just the lions are purring. You know, he's just, they're just hanging out. <laughs> you should yeah, 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 yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the interesting thing, you know, the, 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 what happens next is that at the king's command, the men, their wives, and their children, who had all accused Daniel, they get thrown into the lion's den because obviously, you know, the king favors Daniel and sees that God has been faithful. And the Bible tells us that before they even reach the floor of the den, the lions have overpowered all of those people, which wasn't they weren't hungry. You know, God is the one who shut their mouths. And so we come to the end of chapter six with not Daniel saying these praises to God, but King Darius, uh, for he's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. And he puts those words in every language possible and sends that out in writing. It literally says to all the earth that Daniel's God, our God, is to be praised. So what parts of the story stand out to you guys? Anything particularly yet yeah. before we dive into some particulars? See, I feel like Daniel has always been a very interesting person to me. I feel like the older I get and the more that I reading Bible by myself, like you realize those small moments that we see of like Daniel and the lion's den, like that is just a, like a small glimpse. That's an insta story mm-hmm. of a life that at every turn that we see recorded, he maintained his integrity he maintained his uh, as josh talked about his um, reputation and like th- th- he found ways him and the people with him to live peaceably among people that they were at odds with um, religiously culturally and so i just think that daniel was such an interesting thing that like he, he ended up in the lion's den but like his entire life was kind of leading up to that moment where that was just the next the next right thing for him to say that he wouldn't compromise on on that conviction. That's good. I think something that gets my attention that dovetails with that, um, the more I read the story and study it, the more I'm intrigued by the character of King Darius and yeah. the relationship the two of them have. And you know, you said working with people and you know, staying true to what God has called us to, developing relationships with people who don't think the same way we do, don't believe the same things that we believe. And it's not just, I mean, the more I read this, the more I think it's more than just a working relationship. I don't get the impression that Darius is upset because he's losing an administrator. He's upset because he's the possibility of losing someone that he has respect for. And maybe it's a deeper relationship than even mutual respect. But it's it's Daniel's unwillingness to change what he believes in, even to the point of being punished, mm-hmm. that literally changes Darius's heart to the fact that at the end, he's praising God. He is extolling you know, the, the goodness of God. And 
my gosh, if anything speaks more to relationships with people who we know and who we work with but might not believe the same things as, like that speaks so loudly to me and it's of course a thousand year old, thousand year old model. Yeah, right, right, because I think Darius, yeah, probably had that relationship, that affection for Daniel because Daniel would actively been working for Darius's good. Yes. Like we don't see Daniel sitting here trying to hedge his bets in another right. direction. He's been put in this position of leadership because he's actively working for the good of the people that are that are holding him in exile. Sure. And that, that goes back to, to the letter from Jeremiah. Right. You know, work for the city's yes. edification for mm -hmm. its good because its welfare is your welfare. And so Dan, I think Daniel's living with this understanding that time's in God's hand, uh, that, that this is not, you know, he's not working against these circumstances, he's living in these circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, I think we, we work so hard against our circumstances that, that we don't live in them. And, right. and he's living in it. Right. He's living in it in a, with, with integrity and maintaining his reputation. Yet at the same time, he's, he's balancing his need to serve the king mm -hmm. and his need to serve his God. Mm -hmm. and, and he's doing that. that and that, sometimes that's hard. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think anyone who wants to look at it from another angle and try to see, okay, what is Daniel getting out of it for himself? You know, you could almost make the argument up until the point that he disobeys the decree that he's only working for the king and doing things for the king for his own personal gain or glory. And yet he changes absolutely nothing that he does, staying true to God, and it gets him punished for it. You know, at what point is at what point do you say that he's he's working to his own to his own gain or glory at that point? He doesn't change anything about himself. It just it's just that's how they chose to trap him. Right. And so I mean that's you know, I, I think you could I think you have to stop thinking that he's doing something just for him, his own personal edification right. and have to understand there's a much deeper meaning to what he's doing. Yeah. Right, because we look at him, he obviously has administrative gifts, he has leadership gifts. Like this story, we could have been like, well, why didn't God rewrite it this way where he is mm -hmm. using those gifts and creating this subversive mm -hmm. movement that is, um, but yeah, he's very much using those gifts and, and living in, in the position that God has, has put him. And I kind of think back to even like um, God's covenant with Abraham, talking about like the nations of the world being blessed through mm -hmm. the Israelites. And like I see, this is almost a chance in a, a way that this, this empire is is receiving and experiencing blessing through the Israelites. And I don't know, that just kind of popped into my head, and I was thinking, man, like what if Daniel really is kind of getting this idea that like yes, they're living as this group that is set apart, but also that like with them, like they have the ability to to bring and, and bless other people just with their presence and which is us right yeah. I mean so, mm -hmm. so we talked was it last week we talked about living in exile yeah and so we're, we're let's let's assume we, we're living in exile we're living in circumstances maybe maybe that we probably that we don't love I mean there's things we don't love about where where things are going right now well we, we can choose to be subversive right uh, and maybe there's a time for that at times in history uh, or we can choose to live in a way that we're going to live through the circumstances with integrity, uh, seeking to bless those around us, believing that that blessing of those around us leads to blessing in our lives as well. Um, and so, you know, Daniel's a pretty good model uh, for the church. And it's funny, you know, the more as we're sitting here talking about it, you know, doesn't God do the same thing with, and I'm going to try to deviate from the story, but, you know, Joseph and his circumstances and bettering Egypt through the family, I mean, you know, this isn't a this isn't a one shot model that God is showing us. I think He uses this idea of 
you know, you, like you said, circumstances are all we expect, but I have such a greater plan for what's going to happen. It's not just going to benefit you and your people, but it's going to splash out onto everyone around you, and that's how he's going to be. That's how he's going to be known. So I think that's fantastic. No, I think it's super important for us to see those themes weaving together. Like we talked, like right now, we're in dialogue with the scripture, but the scripture is in dialogue right. with itself, constantly reminding us of God's heart and His purpose and mm-hmm. His ways of working, and that they don't always match our ways of working. So I think it's super important for us to see that those themes and those ideas come up again and again. And, and so you, you realize that prob- one of the things that happened in exile was they got the Bible, they got the written word. Right. Before they were in exile, it was an oral tradition. Right. But while they were in exile, so that's why you have the book of, um, I believe Chronicles and Kings are, are two different ways of receiving. So they're getting the word. So Daniel doesn't have a Bible, probably. He has an oral tradition that, that he's been taught. Uh, but, but then he also gets these special revelations from God, where God sends him these crazy wild dreams or visions and uh, that'll be our next series. Right now, <laughs> it'll be a fun one, but it won't be. Um, and and so, you know, it makes me think that Daniel's connection with the revelation allowed Daniel to live differently in the midst of the circumstances. Yeah. And so, you know, what's our revelation? Most of us aren't having crazy dreams by a river of bronze and gold and silver statues, uh, but we've got His Word. God's revelation to us is his word. And so to, to be grounded like Daniel, we're grounded in the story. Right. And so we understand God God holds all these circumstances in his hands. Uh, you know, and, and, and so even in the midst of this circumstance, you know, I, I've got to believe that, that God has something in mind for me in this. And, and to me, and again, we don't know exactly, okay, maybe I'm reading too much in the story. How does he know that? He goes to his room and he prays. Sure. As soon as the decree is made, you know, and, and though the, I think it's easier for us to say three times a day it is, so maybe it's ritualistic or maybe it's a practice, but with the very first reaction that we see to Daniel hearing, hey, pray to anybody but Darius and you're going to die, he goes and he prays to God. Right. So he does, he relies on the on the communication with God the way he always has, even though things have literally turned 180 degrees against him. Yeah. He checks in with God. What's your revelation in this situation? doing what you're doing and I think it's tempting when you read that to almost think that like he's like oh they told me I can't pray well right watch me do this yes. and then it's like it's important when you read that next verse it basically fleshes out like this was act this was a practice this yeah. is what he did and if you look back earlier in the book there was at one point I think it was under still Nebuchadnezzar where like Nebuchadnezzar had this dream that nobody could explain to him but the caveat was he also wouldn't tell the people what the dream was so he was just looking for these people yep. that would be able to one tell them what he dreamed and tell them yep. what it meant and so it was almost like this test, and he called Daniel and Daniel's friends together. And Daniel's response to that was, you need to let me pray about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, anything that I tell you won't come from me. It'll come right. from God. And so just his whole life was this pattern, this, this lifestyle where praying was his first thought. Right. Something's going wrong. I need to pray about this. This look, I need to pray about this. And I wonder if that was almost part of his reputation. Like, if they would be like, oh, we're going to have a big discussion Daniel's going to need to go pray about this. What time is it? He's going to go pray. Right, yeah. Well, he'll be back. You you pointed out something interesting. You said, wait, pray three times a day, and and you used the phrase, well, you know, that that sounds uh, like like it's ritual or ritualistic. And it's it's silly how we think about that. Oh, yeah. Because all of our life is ritual. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And if you want to get in shape, right. you watch what you eat and you regularly exercise. It, your car, if it gets over 5,000 miles, 5,000, guess what? You change your oil. Yep. And nobody says, oh, you're just ritualistic. No. <laughs> we eat three <laughs> times a day yeah. and nobody says we're, we're ritualistic. ritualistic. Right. So, so there's nothing, you know, I hope that we have regular patterns sure. to our prayer times sure. and our Bible reading time. That we just don't, oh, I'm, I'm going to be super spiritual about this. And I'm only going to pray when I spiritually feel, yeah. feel like it, right. when I need to pray, yeah. instead of being... You know, on a regular basis, mm -hmm. and, and and perhaps maybe maybe Daniel didn't need in most instances um, to go to special prayer because he had it built into right. into the into, yeah the fabric of life. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest. There are seasons in my life where I've been better about that, or been sure. more me like too. consistent, and seasons where I haven't. And it's those seasons where I'm like, man, how many times is it going to take me to realize that like, the seasons that I am making that a priority, and I am orienting my time and my schedule around those times that I am so much more fulfilled and feel energized even. I mean, like when I'm trying to do it out of my own strength, like it doesn't take very long where like, I'm exhausted. I hate everything and I just want to be left alone and just, and I oftentimes I'm like, oh, well, hey, you've been neglecting yeah. a, a part of your, uh, your spiritual health here. Right. So you, you get hungry when you don't eat. Right. 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 You get hangry. Yeah. You get hangry. That's yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Yeah. Ryan hates that phrase. He hates that phrase. Oh, yeah. I'll make sure I use it more. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, in the notes, Mara, you, you talked about um, the conflict because of reputation that Daniel had, and and what is the church? You know, the, the question: What is the church known for right now? And and I think that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, if Daniel's known for his his integrity, his allegiance to God. Um, what are we primarily known for? Is it true? And, and I think it depends on the source. I, I would agree wholeheartedly depends on the source. Look at what he was known for, and yet that's the very thing that the people got angry about. You know, these yeah. hundred twenty-two guys. You know, it's it's not that he's throwing God in their face or trying to shove him down their throat. You know, that he's trying to be overly religious. He's being who God called him to be, which makes him a good administrator. Mm -hmm. But I think from their aspect, they would say, you know, pompous, egocentric. You know what I mean? But right. They would look at it in a different way than we look at it. Um, but again, what are we known for? Are we as a church known for relation building? You know, building relationships and helping anyone whenever we need to? Yeah. I, I, that's an important question. It reminds me of the early church. The early church, what they called them atheists in Rome. Because Rome had many gods, mm -hmm. and they refused to worship right. the many gods mm -hmm. and only worship one. the one god. Right. And so, you know, the, the, their reputation was one god, mm -hmm. and that's why they were persecuted. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if the church is really known, not just this church, but right. the church in general. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it seems to me that, that right now, even in the church, there's so many opinions on things. That, um, that we're, I don't know that we're known for one thing. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I think it, it would kind of depend on the source, but I feel like there's probably a lot that would say the church is kind of known, especially in the past, I mean, more recent history, 50, 60 years, of switching its focus less on the, um, maybe the welfare of people around it and more on getting people to that crisis moment of conversion. And um, it's like in that we've neglected doing what Jeremiah says, like seeking the welfare of our community we aren't looking at their 
their lives holistically. We just want them to fall into this category of being saved. And I was almost like, if we get them there, what are we doing with them afterwards? Like, I feel like there's there's probably a lot of people that feel like the church has manipulated and used people to get them to that crisis moment and then kind of abandon them and almost left them worse off right. for the wear. Right. And you, you do have, um, and, and I can't think of the colors that, that they assign, but there's the evangelical churches mm-hmm. and then there's the social justice churches. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what I love about our roots, our roots, you know, Wesley wasn't evangelical, uh, you know, what, what Wesley wasn't. And, and so we've, we've superimposed an evangelical method on, uh, or on a the, theologian that was method in his theology. And not only is he method in his theology, uh, Wesley was deeply concerned with social issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that, that, was a, that was a big part of his ministry, you know, slave trade, uh, eliminating that, um, you know, poverty, education, all these things, hospitals, uh, and so you go to Riverside, Methodist hospital, uh, and so there's there's a lot of schools. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of your higher education schools uh, began as Christian organizations, and so uh, the the church has always, or in the past, has been heavily involved in those those things. And um, I think the temptation is to rely too much and say, well, that's our history, but like we're also working towards our present. Yeah, we need to right. maintain that. We can't just say, well, it has that name on it, so right. it is. But yeah, like that is that the reputation that we are actively building right. and maintaining? I don't think we are. Right. But the name doesn't the name doesn't signify the present purpose anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than wearing a yeah. t-shirt. You know, the sure. McDonald's joke. I won't. You know what I mean? Yeah. About walking in McDonald's and the cheeseburger kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's the day to day, and I think far too often we forget the day. No, we don't forget. But like you said, the history supersedes the day-to-day right. as far as the definition of who or what we are and why we're here. And it's not either or. I, no. mean, I think yeah, that's no, what I was trying to say. You know, they're, 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 the, the evangelical movement primarily focused on a conscious mental uh, ascent mm-hmm. to a certain thing. Right. That was the, you know, we, we, we lecture, mm-hmm. we call, and you, you mentally affirm. But the social justice aspect, the call uh, to, to make a difference, it's not either or, it's no. both. That, that we should be calling people to repentance, right. uh, calling people to relationship, calling people to spiritual growth, calling people to total consecration. That, that is a part of the church, but the church also is to be salt and light and to be known for caring for people right. and, um, and you know, even people in their midst. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that should be our reputation. I, I don't know that we... Yeah, no, I, I would argue we almost have kind of fallen into this idea like that self-fulfillment is is kind of the goal as we talk about like um, life, liberty, the pursuit of property, the pursuit of happiness, depending on which enlightenment uh, person, your philosopher you're listening to. But almost like we have amended that and added that on to also like our, our dreams of our lives as, as Christians should be this, um, should be prosperous, should be... Those things where, um, and then that kind of falls into then we want to protect that and we want to preserve that. And we think that, well, we're doing the honorable thing if we are protecting ourselves. We're like, God, our bodies are a gift, our, our lives are a gift, and we want to protect them. And then we read a story like this where I'm like, Daniel seemed very, I won't say uninterested, but like self preservation, self protection did not seem to be his motive in any of this. And he easily could have gone and prayed with the window shut and sure. hidden that. And I mean, 
He's still talking to God, and God's everywhere, and God didn't need him to open the window towards Jerusalem for him to be praying to him. But I feel like you could also read the story and be like, man, was Daniel like needlessly reckless with his position, with his health, with his very See, life in the way he did it? I almost wonder if he had a different set of priorities than maybe we fall prey to having. Yeah. That, you know, I think he could have very easily said, you know, again, being being overrun by the Babylonians and now the Persians means the end of the Israelite religion. And so I need to protect that. I need to draw all my people around me. I need to make sure that we get what we need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Let's get ours. And no matter who cares what happens to the rest of these, you know, these people. And yet I see him putting relationship first and relationship not with Israelites, but with Persians, with Babylonians first. And all the other things fall into place. If that makes any sense yeah, at all. No. He has a relationship with the king who is saying, worship me. That's totally in the face of worship God. And yet... Worshiping God becomes the primary goal at the end. He puts relationships first. And I don't know if that means he didn't worry about the other things, mm-hmm. or if because he's got God you know, in his, in his central view and those other things are first, that God has told him the other things will fall into place. But I don't see him being concerned about any of those things. And it, maybe it seems reckless on one end, but on the other hand, it might just be total submission to what God has told him to do. God, you brought me this far. You've led me through all these other things. Your kingdom still reigns. You're still the God who's going to be proclaimed. I'm not going to worry about the other stuff. Hmm. I don't know. And I think, yeah, that Daniel's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not concerned. I don't think he's being reckless or right. he's purposely yeah. being reckless. Right. reckless. Um, he, he's not trying to um, align people to his point of view. Mm-hmm. His goal is not to create a group that thinks just like him, no. uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. He's not... He's not being evangelical <laughs> at all. All he's doing is serving the community right. to the best of his ability, right. and um, and making sure that the things he's supposed to be doing, he's doing. You know, it's funny to me. We talked about you know the, the church historically has you know let's let's create the conversion experience. There's a conversion experience in here. Darius hmm. converts at right. least yeah. to his way of thinking, mm-hmm. but it happens after Daniel has been taken through the test. That consequently, Darius put in play. You know what I mean? Like, right. You know, you know, the, the conversion of happen, experience happens, but it just doesn't happen maybe in the way that Daniel would have envisioned. You're not going to sit in, in a lines in order for him to, you know, to come well, to know you. Okay. You know. So what you're saying that people <laughs> might be watching how we handle right. hard situations yeah. for them to decide mm-hmm. whether whether this is worth it, whether whether what we believe is. Real. Are you you're telling me that people are watching yes. how we? How we so. live our lives. Yeah. Oh, Brian, that's totally new to me. I'm done. I'm not walking. <laughs> Drop your mic. Knock it over. I'm out. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's and historically, uh, not not every church, but historically, mm-hmm. the church has been more concerned with getting people to think their way Correct. than they have been with serving community. Right. And and then telling community, this is why we do these things. And, and we're going to do for you regardless of whether or not you come into alignment with what we're saying or right. what we're thinking. Right. We're going to serve you because that's what we're called to and that's what we right. know we need to do. There's no strings attached. If right. you'll follow us, then we'll do more of this. Right. Yeah, so your neighbors, people who live around you should know that you love them mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with whether or not they ever step foot into our church. Right. Because that, that ultimately isn't the goal. This, the right. church is not the place where the magic happens. Right. It's, it's ultimately in that relationship and that personal mm-hmm. where 
with our personal relationship with God, their personal relationship with us, and ultimately hope. I mean, like we do, we pray and hope for their personal relationship and their faith to grow with God. But like that can all happen in your backyard. Hmm. And and it can happen. I know we've talked about this before. Maybe this is too rabbit trailing. I think we get really tied up with thinking that we have to be the ones in charge of that conversion moment. That's good. You know, I don't see Daniel ever making a statement in any of this saying, you know, now's the time, King, for you to worship God. You know, now that you've experienced this. And I think we, we bear a weight on our shoulders and a burden that we never should put on ourselves, that it's up to us to convert our neighbors. Now, does that mean that it's not? That also people want to think, you know, uh, the opposite of that. Does that mean I can just be whoever I want to be? You know what I mean? And not, that's not what we're saying at all. But it's not up to me. God is in control of all of it. He might be working angles. He is working angles in their life that I never see or encounter. But then my responsibility is for that relationship with that person to be as Christ-centered as possible and love on them and let, let God work out the details to how they come to him. I don't want to be a stumbling block for that. I want to be an avenue. But if it doesn't happen through me, that doesn't mean I've done anything wrong or the relationship that we have isn't moving in the right direction. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it goes back to the, the art of neighbor and love your love yeah. you see. And, yes. you know, God, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he doesn't say, and convert your neighbor. Right. <laughs> he says, right. love your neighbor as yourself. Right. That, 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 that was Jesus' strategy. Mm -hmm. of, uh, and, and I think that was his strategy for us is that we are called to love. Uh, we're called to share our story. I mean, there's a reason we love. I, I'm not suggesting that you never share a story or right. share yeah. who he is, but, but but the primary thing we're called to do is love right. and love those closest to us. Well, what else we got here? You, I think this is an interesting. I, I think this ideal of civil disobedience is something to, to talk about. Um, I, I don't, I, I keep coming back to the third way. And, uh, you know, Jesus... Gandhi, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. used Jesus as their um, as their example or their model with regard to civil disobedience. In that, when Jesus turn, says, "Turn the other cheek," walk 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 the extra mile, all those things are are can be perceived, and I'm going to try to explain them all right here. But can be perceived as um, civil disobedience, mm -hmm. passive civil disobedience. And, and so many scholars talk about Jesus advocating what we call the third way. Mm -hmm. and, and I think with Daniel, you see the third way. You, you, you don't see um, civil disobedience to the point of anarchy. No. As a matter of fact, he says, I've served my God, right. and I've served you. Correct. That, so he's operated mm -hmm. at this level. Mm -hmm. And it's in operating at that level that the king can see how good God was. Right. And so I guess the question is, how, how do we operate? That, that's a hard question. Um, how do we operate in the third way? I think that litmus test is what we've come back to. Love the Lord your God. I mean, like, and I'm not Love. trying to oversimplify it, but love, and your neighbor as yourself. If, if being disobedient civilly hurts the people around me, then I don't know that I'm doing what God asks me to do. Right. Even if that means... <laughs> You know, I think some people would say, especially in our culture today, and I'm not trying to cross lines or step on toes, but, um, you know, well, by being overly obedient to things that you're being, that, you, that, that, that governments or systems are calling us to, you're being false to, I don't think so. You know, if it's, in a, if it's in a spirit of love, if I'm doing something that I'm being asked to do and it's in a spirit of love, and I'm making sure that it's as unoffensive as it can be, 
Right. You know what I mean? Then, then I feel like I'm, I'm operating within that third way as well. Yeah. So, so third ways elevates. Uh, yeah, it I elevates so. others. It, yes. it doesn't just elevate self, but, but it elevates Correct. others. So, um, you know, the easy example is um, a relationship arm. Mm -hmm. The third way is forgiveness. Yes. Um, one way would be ignoring. One way would be vengeance. Mm -hmm. uh, but the third way is forgiveness because that elevates that person and you right. and the relationship. Right. And so, you know, in the midst of, you know, how do we elevate in the midst of this? How does the church elevate? And let me tell you, it's the hardest. This has been the hardest five months of ministry oh. in my entire life. I've never seen anything like it. Right. Um, you know, I've said over and over, I don't have all the answers. We're just trying to work our way through this and come to the end of it because there will be an end. <laughs> come to the end of it so loving each other and, and having a good witness in our community. Right. Um, so, you know, that's that's a challenge for everybody. When, when you're dealing with people, how, how can you react in this circumstance and not just get your point across, right. but somehow elevate everyone around you and, and what you're doing? Yeah, I feel like we very much, our world, our media, our politics, everything tries to enforce this dichotomy. It's mm -hmm. gotta be this way or this yes. way. It's gotta be yes. that yes or no is, and I, I, part of me, I'm like, I just pray like in my generation that we will see that there's a group that rises up that, that says like, that's really not true. This is a false dichotomy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's false to say that there's only two sides when I'm like, no, there's a multitude of perspectives. And so it's like, when we find that way to say like, I'm not going to be trapped into everything that either of these groups is advocating for or pushing right. or whatever, like that there has to be a way that there's a third voice. There's a third way. There's a, a different path forward that is not so deeply entrenched in this or this. And I think in our culture today, I think speaking less and doing more mm -hmm. says a lot. Um, I think, a word, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking notes here. I was trying to make sure I wasn't Hamiltonizing. Are you saying talk, talk less? Talk less, smile more, right? <laughs> but, you, you know, <laughs> we, are, we are inundated with people talking at us. You know, talk, 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 talk. And yet, doing and being consistent in those actions, and they don't have to be big actions, you know, and you touched on a lot of that, but just being consistent in who we choose to be and not who we say we are or who we want to be. Um, you know, I, we keep coming back to this, but I, I don't ever hear Daniel arguing. You know, when they drag him away, no argument. You know, when they say you've done the wrong thing, no argument. The only time he speaks to what he's done is when he's pulled out of the lion's den and says, I've been like, Paul, he was a faithful to my God and faithful to you. That's the only time he says anything which could be held in defense against what he's done. And I think our world is so, is looking for us to constantly defend our stand and defend our stand and defend our stand. What do we believe in? I think if we just show and be, and I'm, that makes it sound like I've got to figure it out by no means, you know. But I think we're talked out a whole lot, you know, and just doing and being and being consistent with what we do and be. Right, and sometimes when they want to know what, you, what you're for, like what you stand for, they Correct. really want to know what you are against. Correct. And like there's such a difference in being for something right. versus standing against it. Like Daniel is for worshiping God. He is for the welfare of the king. Right. He is for the welfare of the people. He is for all of these things. He it never comes out of saying, I'm against the fact that you work. Correct. I'm against like, right. and it's, it's a different way forward for him. And it is a relationship building way. It is a peaceful way. It is a way where he is able to be in all of these situations that I feel like had he come out as anti-Persian, anti-Medes, anti, like those doors would have been closed for him. 
Right. Even anti the people who accused him. Yeah. You know, he, he legally had the right. I mm-hmm. mean, under old law and new law to say, you all are falsely, you know, I've not done anything against. Right. And yet he says nothing against them. It's King Darius who brought them to the ground. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I keep coming back to with Daniel, and it's, it's not exactly the same story, but the story of Polycarp, you know, you hear how Polycarp is martyred. He's, he's an older guy. He's in his 80s. And they, they ask him to um, renounce his faith. They, they tell him, uh, you know, listen, we understand who you are, uh, that you will, um, um, hi, Mary. Hi. You? Hi, Mary. Good to see you. Come say hi to the TV for us. We're talking to everybody on TV. Hey. Over there. Over there. There's a camera right there. Right ahead of us. Have Walk a good in. day. Yeah. God bless you all. Uh, but yeah, Polycarp is, um, they, they, the Romans come to him and say, listen, or wherever he's living, say, listen, we know you're, you're an old guy. You worship this Jesus. You don't want to worship the emperor. Uh, just just say it one time right. and we'll leave you alone. And Polycarp says, 80 years I've served him, I'm not going to refuse to serve him now. And they execute this 80-year-old man for not saying, not, it. Yeah. not saying it one time. So so Daniel's got that kind of integrity. And, and the way Polycarp said it and the way uh, you know Daniel does it, it's just, it just class. It, and it speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Not a whole lot has to be said. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, what's the other story of the, 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 the uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of martyrdom, I guess, and, and that's a, not a great thing to think of. Um, there's a song about the 80 uh, martyrs on the ice, and they're killed. And then they just start adding to them as soldiers oh, follow. You know, they're saying something like 80 such and such followers mm-hmm. of Jesus on, on the ice, and, and, and you know, one of them dies, and Roman soldier stands and says, now there's 80. And, you know, just a powerful image. I think this yeah. is based on, you know, reality of, of the way that they they serve, even in tribulation and right. persecution. Right. Drew people to God. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think, I think we prior close to closing. What about families or kids? How, how do we how do we tell this story to our kids so that they understand? Um, yeah. <laughs> like with my own kids, I'm like, I feel like this is that prime example of like, the, so you're telling me I don't always have to follow the rules. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, right. I like ever since eight. And so we're definitely in that where I'm like, oh Children. man, this, this cognitive reasoning that's happening right now. And so, but I think that there, there are really important conversations that oh. we need to be having with our kids right. about, I love how you're talking about like, when what you do affects other people around you. Like, because there, there are, there's probably going to be times when, it would hurt other people for you to go along with what the flow is going or what whatever other people are saying you should do. It would hurt other people. And so how do we help our kids to kind of internalize and have those um, litmus tests where they understand that there might be times when it, it is the right thing to stand and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. I'm not. My my beliefs, my, my faith doesn't allow me to do that without them being like, well, I'm having a Daniel Alliance moment here and it's going to be a no for me. <laughs> So my nephew, who, who was my youth pastor at, at Trenton, um, when he was a little little guy, I was up on the roof. And this was always his go-to when he was little. And mm-hmm. so me and my dad's working on the roof, and David had climbed up on the roof. He's like four or five. He goes, I prayed about it, but God said this would be okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so your kids, you don't want that to be the go-to. Right. It's time to clean God your room. Well, I prayed God. about this, and God no, said no. God didn't no. tell me the same thing. <laughs> I, I had this thing written down one time. Emerson told me that it made Jesus' heart sad that I wouldn't give him another cookie. And I was like, what? And he goes, I mean, 
my heart is sad. But there's that, like, Lord Jesus is there. That makes a lot of sense, to be honest, when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, anything else in closing? I love the story. It's a great, great story. It, I'm still getting stuff off of it, even as we continue to read. I don't think it's just a one-shot take. I mean, there's a lot to it. I love the pictures that I showed. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Where he's just like looking up. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Time to come out. Yeah. <laughs> and the body parts. Right. More just makes it. Yeah. It's graphic. Yeah. Those kids' illustrated Bibles have changed over the last 20 yeah. years quite a bit. Oh, yeah. yeah the but old more school. Cartoon. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember the old school. Yeah. 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 Jonah was like completely naked. In right. Place, yeah. And it was like, hey. Yeah, we're not named that to my kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to pray. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, right now we give you thanks for your work. We're thank, thankful, Lord, that you invite us to join you in this journey. And uh, Lord, we're thankful that, and I, and I hesitate to say this, we're thankful that the way is not always easy because it's in the hard times that you refine us. So help us, Lord, not just to uh, strive for easy, but to strive for wherever you call us, even if it is difficult, so that we can become the people you want us to be. Uh, bless our people, bless our church, bless our community. And may our church be a blessing to our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.